Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. I'm Morgan Rector, host of the Human Monsters True Crime Podcast. Do you find life boring within the comfort zone? Then this is the right show for you. This show does not spare the graphic details. It will test your endurance. Consider some testimonials from my listeners. Stephanie Jordan said, Some episodes, even for me, I had to take a mental health break from, only to crave more of it. Karen Erdman says, It's like a train wreck you can't turn away from. Anna Scholes, I was looking over my shoulder because I felt like I should have been, or was going to be, arrested for even listening. The offenders profiled in human monsters are among the most inhumane. These people specialize in the unthinkable. Human Monsters, available wherever you get your podcasts. Jennifer vanished sometime in the overnight hours. Right now, there is no trace. Investigators say evidence leads them to believe that she's dead. Stick my nose back on the trail. That's all I can do. This is already gone. Already gone. Already gone. If I'm being honest, I don't know much about Akron, Ohio. Growing up in Michigan... We regularly traveled through Ohio to get to West Virginia so we could visit my dad's family. So Toledo and Dayton always felt familiar. And as a Michigan fan, I don't care too much for Columbus. As an adult, I've spent a fair amount of time in Cincinnati, but Akron? I only know it vaguely. Something about tires, something else about oatmeal, maybe there's a river, but that's it. Today's episode leads us to the heart of Akron, to the tale of a killer or killers who attacked and murdered four unsuspecting women. So come with me to 1987, when several women died brutal deaths and multiple police agencies formed a task force in the hopes of bringing both peace and justice to the area. August 10th, 1987 was a lovely late summer day. It was sunny and breezy with temperatures in the high 70s. That morning, 31-year-old Janice Christensen went to the gym with her husband, Ken. After their morning workout, Ken went to work as a foreman for a landscaping company. Janice, who worked part-time at a computing job at Cuyahoga Falls General Hospital, she had the day off. The couple had plans to move south to Florida and Janice switched from full-time work to part-time work, which allowed her to spend more time with friends and family before the big cross-country move. With Ken at work, Janice, who was described as a fitness fanatic, decided to go for a run. And why not? The weather was ideal. She had time to get in the run before a one o'clock shopping date with her mother, Anne. Anne arrived at the Christensen home about 12.55 p.m., 
and saw that Janice's car wasn't there. No big deal. She parked and waited, and waited, and she waited nearly an hour, but there was no sign of her daughter. So she returned to her own home. Ken's job was mobile, and he couldn't be reached by phone. And remember, this is the 80s. People don't have cell phones. From her house, Anne called her daughter's home every 15 minutes, hoping Janice would answer. But she never did. Around 4.30, Anne returned to the house Janice shared with Ken, intending to meet Ken when he returned home and find out what was going on with her daughter. When Ken arrived home, he and Anne checked the house, but there was no sign of Janice or her 1983 Toyota Tercel. They did find her handbag and other personal effects, things that were left as they usually were when Janice went out for a run. Concerned, a call was placed to police, and she was reported missing. Ken told authorities that Janice usually ran on the bicycle trail running from Seasons Road near the new expressway in Stowe. According to an article in the Akron Beacon Journal by Stephanie Warsmit and Paula Schleis, this area was checked and Janice's car wasn't there. Other parks in the vicinity of Janice and Ken's house were checked as well, and her car was not located. Ken spent a sleepless night wondering where his wife could be. In the morning, he got up early and put a lead on the family dog, a Rhodesian Ridgeback named Wolf, and they got in the car, headed for the bicycle trail near Seasons Road. They checked the parking lot, but there was no sign of her orange Toyota. The pair took to the trail, and Wolf led Ken to the body of his wife, concealed in some brush alongside the trail. Janice Christensen was dead. Her body was cold. Her torso showed multiple stab marks. Ken ran to the nearest house and called the police. In an unfortunate coincidence, Janice's brothers appeared at the park to search for their sister just as the coroner arrived on scene. That's how they learned she was gone. A search of the area, performed on foot and by helicopter, did not turn up her car keys or her vehicle. Near Janice's body, police noticed footprints and a pair of shoelaces that didn't belong to Janice. There did not appear to be signs of a struggle. At autopsy, they confirmed that Janice was the victim of a sexual assault before her death. Summit County Coroner's Investigator Doug Jenny noted that Janice was an avid jogger and fitness buff who was in excellent physical condition. At the time of autopsy, semen samples were collected and sent off for testing. This was a new test in the 1980s, and police were tight-lipped about what, if anything, they would learn from the test. Five days after her body was discovered, on the evening of August 16th, Bedford, Ohio Police Sergeant Dennis Heido was in his cruiser. He was checking out the local Revco drugstore parking lot when he was approached by an employee. The employee told him there was an orange Toyota Tercel parked in the lot and it hadn't moved in several days. Heido ran the plate and learned the car belonged to Janice Christensen. The Tercel would be towed back to the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, where it was checked for evidence and clues. Meanwhile, two officers from Hudson Township worked Janice's case full-time, at least until they ran out of tips and leads. Eventually, frustratingly, the murder of Janice Christensen went cold. Her husband, Ken, found staying in the area too difficult. He said in a 1997 interview 
that everywhere he looked, he wondered if it was her killer. So he followed the couple's plan and relocated to Florida, where he found work at a wildlife hospital. He eventually remarried and had a family and returned once again to Ohio. About two months after Janice's murder, the Akron area learned of another violent death in the community. This time, it was the murder of 48-year-old Joanne Bartholomew. Joanne was born March 24, 1939, to parents Thomas and Welcome Morgan. As an adult, she married Charles Bartholomew, and they had two children. Joanne worked as a physical education teacher, and later, she and Charles ran the local Dairy Queen. In her spare time, she enjoyed church activities. On Wednesday, October 21, 1987, Joanne went to night church services. She was seen leaving these services about 8 p.m. She later went to the Chapel Hill Mall. She was seen looking at VCRs that were for sale. Joanne's husband, Chuck, he was at work. He would normally go with Joanne to church, but they were opening another Dairy Queen location, and he needed to get a few things done. When Chuck got home around 9 o'clock, he made himself some food and started watching the World Series on television. The twins were playing the Cardinals. He didn't think it was out of the ordinary that Joanne wasn't home yet. She often stayed late for church meetings. Chuck fell asleep watching the game. He woke up about midnight and realized his wife wasn't back. That's when he began to worry. He went out driving around, trying to find his wife. He retraced her route from the church to the house, but there was no sign of her or her car. He had no way of knowing that she'd gone to the mall that evening. It was nearly dawn when he gave up and returned home. At 7.30 a.m., he started calling around to friends, but no one knew where she was. By 9 a.m., he was on the phone with police asking for help in finding his wife. Multiple people are now searching for Joanne, including Chuck, who went driving around again looking for her car. He located her Cadillac Coupe de Ville at the Chapel Hill Mall's main entrance. He thought it was parked funny, but there was no sign of his wife in or near the vehicle. He reported the discovery to police. It would take two days of searching, but Joanne was finally found. At around 3 p.m. on October 24th, Joanne's body was located by relatives in a wooded area behind a store near Chapel Hill Mall, near the intersection of Buckholzer Boulevard and Howe Road. And just for your information, where her body was found is about seven miles from where Janice's body was recovered. According to the Newark Advocate, Joanne was found lying face up about 25 feet into a wooded section over an embankment. She was partially clothed and had been stabbed multiple times just like Janice a few weeks earlier. They did a search of the area looking for clues, but over the next few days, evidence from the crime continued to trickle in. On October 26th, someone found some of Joanne's credit cards around two miles from Chapel Hill Mall. Police searched the area where the cards were found and recovered Joanne's purse. On October 27th, about three miles from where her body was found, a jogger found one of Joanne's credit cards and a verification card from a coupon book. Two murdered women in three months set the locals on edge. People started buying guns and carrying pepper spray. Enrollment in self-defense classes increased. At the time, police assumed that these two very similar murders were related. 
Now, more than 30 years later, police no longer believe these murders are connected. Chuck Bartholomew did learn to live without his wife of 27 years, and eventually, in the mid-90s, he remarried. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. While police and civilians alike hoped the killings were over, Akron would soon face another murder. Another woman attacked and left brutalized. This time, it was 36-year-old Marcia K. Potter. Marcia was born in Cuyahoga Falls on September 12, 1951, to parents Joan and Fred Fisher. She was an only child. As an adult, she worked as a receptionist in a dentist's office. She was the mother of two children, daughters Christine and Megan, and she'd been married to her husband Larry for about five years. Now, Marcia, she was careful. She knew about the murders and cautioned others to act responsibly, locking their doors and being alert to their surroundings. But listeners, her caution would not keep her safe. On Monday, December 14, 1987, Marcia had a full day. She was going to run a bunch of errands and then meet her parents at St. Martha's Church on Talmadge Avenue for bingo in the evening. Marcia loved bingo. It was about 10.30 p.m. when Marcia's parents, Fred and Joan, walked her to her car after bingo. Marcia hadn't been lucky that night. She didn't win any money. In fact, she only had about $5 left in her purse. But she was in high spirits. At around 4.30 a.m. on now December 15th, Marcia's husband, Larry, realized Marcia hadn't made it home. He called her friends and family, but they didn't know where she was. Larry then called the police. Larry and Marcia's friends and family started searching for her, but they didn't find her and they went home for the night. Late on the night of the 15th, Marcia's car was discovered in the parking lot of an apartment complex off North Pershing Avenue. This location is about five miles from the church where she went to bingo and only six blocks from her home. Marcia's body was lying across the seat. She'd been stabbed multiple times. Unlike previous victims, Marcia was fully dressed. She'd been stabbed in the neck with a sharp object. A search of the area did not turn up the murder weapon. It appeared that robbery was the motive as her purse was dumped out and her cash and credit cards were missing. At the time, police did not feel that her death was related to the murders of Joanne and Janice. An August 1997 story in the Akron Beacon Journal states, Sources close to the investigation believe that Marcia was killed by someone she knew, but they were unable to gather enough evidence to arrest this person. 
Now, telling the public that these murders were not related was not a comfort to women living in and around Akron. Three women died brutal deaths between August and December of 1987, but these three women would not be the last. The last victim in this horrifying series of deaths is 17-year-old Barbara Blatnick. Barbara was born November 20, 1970, to parents John and Terry. In the fall of 1987, she was a student at Erie View Catholic High School. On December 19, 1987, at about 4 p.m., Barbara left her house for a party on Turney Road, which wasn't too far from her home in Garfield Heights. Now, Garfield Heights is not Akron. In fact, it's a far suburb of Akron, about 33 miles north of the city. While at the party, Barbara had a few drinks. Then she called her dad, John, at 10.30 p.m., telling him she'd be home soon. Barbara's mother waited on the sofa for her daughter to return. Terry fell asleep, and Barbara didn't come home. Terry figured Barbara decided to stay the night at her friend's house. This was not an uncommon occurrence. Terry was soon woken up by a bad dream where Barbara said, I love you, Ma, but I have to go. Then her daughter went into a tunnel of warm light. The next morning, Terry told her husband about the dream, but he didn't believe her. Either way, Barbara still wasn't home, so Terry and John called her friends but none of them had seen her since she left the night before. It was about 3 p.m., and John was about to phone the police to report Barbara missing when the police came to his door. This is the visit no parent ever wants to receive. Police told them that around 10 a.m. that morning, an oil and gas employee found Barbara's nude body. It had been dumped in a wooded area off O'Neill Road near Blossom Music Center. This is about 24 miles from where she lived in Garfield Heights. She'd been strangled and raped. They may not have told her parents that Barbara fought for her life, but it was evident to investigators that she did not go quietly. When her body was recovered, Barbara was still wearing her class ring, which helped quickly identify her remains. As part of their investigation, police learned that a friend dropped Barbara off at the corner of Warner Road and Grand Division in Garfield Heights around midnight. That was the last time Barbara was seen alive. They theorized that Barbara was picked up near her home and her body dumped in the wooded area after she was dead. The Mansfield News Journal reported that Barbara's hand was covered in writing. Therefore, the coroner severed the hand and sent it out for enhanced testing. The FBI lab in Washington would be looking at the hand, the writing, and any messages to see if they could unravel the mystery of who murdered the teenager. They also obtained biological materials from her body that were sent off for testing. And one source that I read reported that her hand was lost, which, if true, must have been a heartbreaking development for her family. And again... Police don't think that this murder is connected to the previous three cases. But the area, Akron had seen four murdered women in five months. People were scared and they were angry. Because the Akron area had these four different but similar murders, authorities started working together. The murders were in multiple jurisdictions, so a task force was formed with the cities of Akron, Cuyahoga Falls, Hudson, 
plus Summit County Sheriff, the FBI, and state authorities. They would work on the cases for about a year, spending much of 1988 running down leads and chasing tips that came in, but they went nowhere. Unfortunately, all four cases went cold. There were no arrests. There was no justice. Today, you can barely find anything about these cases in the press. It's been years since the deaths of Joanne, Janice, or Marcia were featured in the news. Except for Barbara, her case was the exception. In May of 2020, 68-year-old James Ostinick of Cleveland was arrested for Barbara Blatnick's murder. DNA from Barbara's body had been given to a California company, Identifinder, that does forensic genealogy using DNA databases. This led to James' family, and then to James himself. Barbara's family does not know James Zostanek. It's unlikely that Barbara knew him either. Once in custody, James pleaded not guilty to aggravated murder. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, his hearings and trial kept getting postponed. Also due to the pandemic, he was allowed out on bond. His trial was supposed to happen in the fall of 2021. But in August of 2021, he was found dead. You see, James was ill when he was tracked down by investigators. Rather than being detained in jail, he was released on a $35,000 bond and was living with his brother when he died of cancer. Unfortunately, he passed away before he was able to serve any time for Barbara's murder. Barbara's mother, Teresa, died in 2008 so she did not live to see anyone named as a suspect in her daughter's death. Families and police are still hopeful that the remaining three cases can be resolved. The murder of Janice Christensen is being handled by the Hudson, Ohio Police, and they can be reached at 330-342-1871. The murders of Joanne Bartholomew and Marcia Potter are being handled by the Akron Police Department that can be reached at 330-375-2552. If you have tips or leads, you can also contact the Ohio Attorney General's Office at www.ohioattorneygeneral.gov. I wish there was more to discuss about these cases. With so much time having passed, the best we can do is hope that there was viable DNA in the cases, and someday there will be a hit in the database leading these families to long-awaited answers. I'm Nina Instead, the writer, producer, and voice behind the Already Gone podcast. I appreciate you listening, and please be safe. <laughs>